Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the uh, Thunderdome edition of uh, Stratosphere Lounge. I'm Bill Whittle, and uh, we had a little bit of trouble getting going today. Um, I have to move a bunch of equipment back and forth. But anyway, we are here. We're recording. We're doing all of those things. And um, it's going to be a bumpy ride, I reckon, tonight. Um, hello, everybody. Good to see everyone. I'm going to let this percolate just a little bit uh, so we get a few uh, people back. Uh, some Someone said, I almost hope he doesn't address the DWLWC uh, debacle. That being said, I also really want to hear his take. Well, as it turns out, uh, I will uh, have a take on that, and I will do my very best to do what I do when I'm, when I'm at my very best, and that's just simply try to provide some perspective on things. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, a little quiet, is it? Five by four? Let me turn her up just a little bit. Uh, because I have been um, in both sides of this... Uh... Hey, Clay. Uh, with five exclamation points, are you trying to warn me? Um, I've been on uh, on both sides of this, and uh, I actually have some, uh, some things uh, to say about this in terms of... Um, like I said, I've been I've been involved on both sides of it. So um, anyway, I'm just going to let the uh, the numbers get just a little tiny, a little bit higher because for me those numbers are you know three digits. Uh, but for those of you who are unaware of uh, the the latest, if you're not up on current events, as uh, Hudson would say, um, then uh, you uh, probably don't know that there's been like a, you know I, I I first of all I just plain don't understand why this um, I don't understand why this is uh, public I understand uh, I understand what uh, Steve Crowder's position is but I don't understand why this is public but anyway I will um, <coughs> excuse me I will talk about all of this stuff and then um, and then you can uh, decide for yourself um, all right so uh, I guess we might as well get back into it. So, uh, for those of you who uh, who are not up on current events, um, yes, I did. I did see Crowder's latest, the one that went up two hours ago. Uh, Steve Crowder left um, uh, the blaze, went off on his own. He is by far the most successful conservative commentator out there. He, um, when I was doing... Um, the Invisible Man. I was looking at the, just counting how many, you know, hits we all got just in general and stuff. And and he is, uh, he's just made an, an empire out of all this stuff. So um, out of the blue uh, comes Steve Crowder waving a, a contract um, that uh, he had received from Daily Wire and uh, basically went off saying that, um, that this was Part of the problem that Daily Wire was in bed with big tech because there were a number of elements in that contract that uh, had pretty sizable um, penalties attached to it. Uh, one of the things that's important to do in any kind of an argument is to hear the other side of the argument. And this is something that we, generally speaking, don't want to do. Um, but uh, my go-to example for this is for a whole week, I was convinced that the plays of Shakespeare were written by Edward de Vere, 16th Earl of Oxford, because I 
I saw a case for it. I thought, man, that's a great case. And then, um, just out of intellectual uh, honesty, I decided to go look at the case for William Stratford. And when I read the rebuttal, when I read the other side of the case, it's like, okay, there's no question it was William of Stratford. So it's important to, to get both sides of both issues. And one of the things that used to be taught, not just in debate, but as a sign of a um, as a sign of an adult mind, when when back when schools were teaching people how to think, not what to think, one of the challenges were, was very simple, and, and the challenge was this. Can you state your opponent's position in a way that your opponent would not only agree with you, but also say, no, you have, you have got me exactly right, and you, um, and you have left nothing out? In other words, are you capable of honestly presenting the opponent's case to the degree that the opponent is satisfied that that's a fair representation. And if you can't do that, then you're arguing against your own uh, preconceptions, you're arguing against your own straw men. If the person you're arguing against is not willing to say, yes, that's exactly how I believe, and they should be able to do it for you too, obviously, then, um, so, so, so that's that. So I, I've looked at, at both of these things, and I've tried to uh, try to try to do that. So, as near as I can understand it, Stevens' case was that Daily Wire is has become so money oriented. This is Stephen Crowder's case. In case you're just coming in mid sentence, but if I understand Stevens' case correctly, and I'd like to put this in a way where Stephen could agree with me, his case was that. What Daily Wire is doing is they are buying up rights to talent. They are they are owning talent, and that and that by saying that the talent would then get less money if they get demonetized or if their YouTube audience goes down, he's playing into the the Daily Wire is playing into the hands of YouTube by making it easy to um, to strike at conservative uh, commentators because. YouTube not only can now give you a strike and knock your viewers down or off, they're also able to cut off your money. So if I understand Stephen correctly, what he's saying is this plays into the hands of big tech, making it easier to silence conservative voices, because now it's not just a question of taking their views away. It's a question of taking their money away, the money from the contract in Daily Wire, which uses um, which uses YouTube as part of their as part of their model. I like to think that's a, as fair a, a, of a, a statement of his position as possible. Um, he also makes the case that if you are up-and-coming young conservative commentator, I guess he didn't give much thought to the old and washed-out conservative commentators, but if you're an up-and-coming uh, conservative uh, commentator, he strongly advised you not to sign a deal like that because a deal like that means that Daily Wire would own your content. And that's basically what they're paying you for. Now, as it turns out, I'm in the interesting position here, and maybe the unique position, to have been on both sides of this fence. Uh, when Daily Wire got big, they offered me a contract to become an employee, and I turned it down, probably for the same emotional reasons that Steve Crowder doesn't want to be an employee. I just didn't want to be an employee made me an offer, which was a number of zeros smaller than the one that they made to Steve. But then again, 
the number of subscribers and viewers I have is a number of zeros smaller than Steve. So to me, it's not about the money at all. I don't think anybody's going to question that he's worth that kind of money. Although I do have to say when I heard out how much it was, I was a bit shocked. So Steve's position is also that this is destroying future conservative content by basically locking it behind a paywall by adding advertising, you know, doing ad reads and so on, and by having Daily Wire own uh, the content. I, I believe that's a, an honest statement of, of, of what he's saying. And, and, his, and his position was that this, that this lust for money is playing into the hands of big tech and is, in fact, part of the problem why we are uh, not able to compete with, with the uh, big ones on there. Uh, so that seems to me to be uh, what, he's, what he's basically trying to say. And for those of you who haven't seen the videos, uh, and Nick pointed out on, uh, just now on, um, on uh, our YouTube stream, uh, that the number that Daily Wire was offering, uh, Daily Wire admitted this, not inside information, was offering $50 million as a starting offer. Um, and that's quite a bit of money. Steve pointed out correctly that included in that, at least this is what Steve said, I didn't quite get into the details of this. Um, so uh, he said uh, that, that included in that, that Steve's position was that, yes, it's $50 million, but I have to hire 25, 30 people to do the show and, and, and produce all that stuff. So production costs are built in there. So it's not like Steve just gets a check for, for $50 million. That's at least as I understand Steve's uh, position. Jeremy's position was that when you're outlaying that kind of cash and, you're, and you are essentially buying a, uh, a property, that the value of the property is dependent upon, in this particular case, how many views the, the, the property gets and how many shows the person puts out. He was saying that Jeremy's position was that the reason we had a clause in there penalizing if uh, you didn't produce a certain number of shows, I want to say it was 194, something like that, then we would have to penalize you for that. We'd have to pay you less than the aggregate total of $50 million because we are buying 194 shows a year or plus or whatever the number is, right? doesn't matter what the number is, but, but he was basically saying, 192, he was saying that if he doesn't deliver 192 episodes, we can't pay, many times it's, it's you can get in trouble by going to the extremes, but sometimes it does make it clearer. What Jeremy's point is saying is, is that what if we pay him $50 million and he delivers three shows, right? We shouldn't, he has to be able to do something in, in, in repayment for, for that money. That seems like a perfectly reasonable case for me. Um, so I think that's a fair statement of what Jeremy said. Jeremy went through all of the contract uh, terms. When I heard the, when I saw Steve's video first, I saw them in order, saw Steve's video, then I saw Jeremy's video, and now I've just seen Steve's latest video. Uh, when Steve listed the the size of those penalties, I was I was like, wow, that is that's a big hit, and it seemed pretty intimidating. Uh, and then when I heard what Jeremy was saying was the total amount of money on the table, they didn't seem as big to me because they're not. To be perfectly honest with you, he, the offer on the table was 
probably 10 times more than I would have estimated, but that's just because I'm not paying attention. Steve Crowder is making millions of dollars doing what Steve Crowder is doing, and he's doing it better than anybody else. Jeremy, to his credit, admitted that. So now we get to the part where, where um, I have something to say about this. Uh, and the reason I have something to say about this is because I've worked with Daily Wire independently, and I've also worked with Steve Crowder independently. And so I get a chance to come in on things uh, because I'm, I've been on both sides of this argument, this table. First of all, for Steve to record that, con that conversation and play it is, to me, simply completely unprofessional. The conversation was a conversation between friends, between people on our side of the table. If I had a phone conversation with Jeremy Boring and he turned out he used it against me and then put it on the air, that would be the end of our friendship. Uh, I just found that to be really quite remarkable. And in Steve's second video, the, the, big, the big gotcha moment is when Jeremy says, yeah, well, they'd come over and be wage slaves for four years. That's I am, wage slaves is a is a hyperbolic term for what it is. You you are a wage slave. Yes, there's no question. I was a wage slave when I was an. Everybody's a wage slave unless you own your own business or you have your own trust fund. If you work for somebody else to get a paycheck, you're a wage slave. So the term to 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 like ta da! He wants to you know enslave people by turning them into wage slaves, is is simply not fair. A fair way of putting that is, he, he, a fair way of putting that is, Daily Wire will hire you and you will be an employee, which is what a wage slave is, right? So I've been, I've been a Daily Wire wage slave and I've turned down an offer to be a Daily Wire wage slave. And more importantly, and to the point, I think I've also been a wage slave at PJTV and I was a wage slave at PJTV both before and after. Steve Crowder was a wage fellow wage slave at PJTV. Um, so, so this is where I have some uh, perspective on this. When I started doing this at PJTV, they made me an offer to take the kind of commentary that I was doing on eject, 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 get it out there on video, which was an entirely new idea. In fact, when I first took the offer at PJTV, there was no discussion of me actually doing the videos. They hired me as an editor. And they said, well, maybe, you know, if you want to do some of your uh, essays, I suppose that'd be all right. And I was thinking, well, if I can get somebody to deliver them instead of me with this little girly voice, then yeah, maybe that'll happen. So, so that's the terms that I entered PJTV with. Now, at PJTV... I did no less than 150 uh, afterburners. I think I was there for several years. I had to do one a week. And I don't own any of those things. I don't own them. The, the, the deal that I had with Daily Wire, I'm sorry, with PJTV is different than the deal I have with Daily Wire. At PJTV, I said that PJTV owns my video. Yes, they own it. They've paid me for it, and I've given it to them. Right? I'm a contractor. If I... Put a, if I put a wing on somebody's house, it's, it's their wing now. It's not mine. I've, 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 they've hired me to do this. I did it. It's their property. But at PJTV, 
the deal that I made was that, yes, you own the video, but I own the script. In other words, I could take the Afterburner scripts and turn them into a book, or theoretically, if I wanted to no longer work at PJTV, I could also redo all of the Afterburners, and then those videos would be mine because I own the script. Uh, the deals that I've made with Daily Wire, I don't own the scripts either. Everything that I've done for Daily Wire, I've done three history series for them, and I'm working on a fourth, and the fourth one's killing me. Because it is, and I'll get to that in a minute too. When I looked at that contract and signed that contract, I knew full well that I was turning over the rights of the people, uh, sorry, the rights of what I was doing to them in exchange for cash. And I went into that eyes wide open. When they offered me originally uh, uh, an opportunity to do kind of commentary there on a regular basis, I didn't, I didn't take that deal. I didn't like it. I was not going to give up the, the by, by Daily Wire or Crowder membership standards, the, the, the very small membership that we have here. And the reason I wasn't willing to give them up is because I think they're the best people in the world. I, I consider them family. They, they've been with me through thick and thin, and many times it's been through thin. But back to the point. So I turned, I turned, a, I turned an employee deal down from Daily Wire, and probably for more or less the same reasons that Steve Crowder did. I didn't want to go in and be an employee, and, and, I, and I wanted to own the stuff. So I've made the same decision that Steve Crowder's made. I understand his side of the argument. However, I have also done three that have been shown and four that I'm working on now, history series for Daily Wire, which had the same conditions that I turned down when they offered me a chance to be one of their on-air personalities, namely that I would get paid a pretty decent salary, and in exchange for that, they would own the work that I do. Now, that is the deal, and it's not an unreasonable deal. And so... When I turned them down, I turned them down because I didn't want to give up the all of the stuff that I talk about, animation stuff, all of it, all the stuff that's kept me so unfocused, unlike these guys, going straight for what they're doing. I've always wanted to be in the entertainment side of it, so I didn't want to commit to that. I turned that deal down. But when they offered me the deal to do Apollo 11, the uh, Apollo um, 11 What We Saw series, that offer was about a thousandth of the off of the of the about one one thousandth of the amount of money they offered Steve Crowder. Now that was wasn't four years of entertainment and Steve Crowder's worth the money. Right? He's worth the money. Because this isn't really about the money, honestly. It's really not. And I think talking about the money is a distraction. So so here was the decision that I had to make when they offered me the Apollo 11 thing. And I think now we're actually getting to the heart of the issue. When Daily Wire offered me a, a five-figure uh, uh, payment in order to do a history of the space program, I took it. I took it for two reasons. I took it because I needed the money, and I took it because if I didn't take it, that story would have gone untold. It's just that simple. Now, Steve has made a big point about this not being about the money, being about the it's being about the, the cause. I could certainly be making more money than I'm making now, and I care about the cause too. But the point is, is that if I had not taken that deal, 
then the Apollo 11 What We Saw series wouldn't have been made. And I think it's a superb series. I think it's really good. Very, very proud of it. One of the reasons it's so good is because Daily Wire spent a fair amount of money on that. The set alone was phenomenal. The, the number of people there and, and the editing crew and the things that they added that I didn't put in there, the, just the, the visual elements that they added to that. It's the first and only time in my life, well, first time in my life that I've ever worked with any company that did, that improved my work and improved it to such a degree that I, that I made a point of going into the editors and, and shaking every one of their hands and basically saying, listen, I can't tell you how much this means. I never seen that footage before in my life. I didn't know it was footage of you know, Apollo, of Forlorn, whatever, right? So, so there was that. And now, again, we're really on, on the main point here. And when we did it, Apollo 11, what we saw, was up on YouTube. So I had a chance to show my members who were paying me for my time, and I'm not delivering product to my membership because I'm working on this thing. And they had a chance to see it, and when they did see it, they thought it was wonderful, and I got a lot of, okay, well, we kind of miss seeing the firewalls or whatever, but this kind of made up for it. Now, not too long after it went up, Daily Wire took it down off of YouTube, put it behind their paywall. I was disappointed about that, but I wasn't outraged about it. I understood the terms of the deal when I signed the contract. It's their property. They can do whatever they want to. And, and if they have to do that in order to keep the machine going that put the money into it in the first place, then that's their business. Then I did the Cold War. That was supposed to be eight episodes, ended up being 13, and I still had to cut that one short. That thing took a, a, an enormous amount of my time. When they said that they weren't going to shoot that one on video because they didn't think it was cost effective, they wanted to shoot it as a podcast, I said, okay, I'd rather have the work out there, audio only, than not have the work out there. And now we're talking about, for me, I'm not speaking for Steve or for Jeremy on this, for me, um, I thought that the story of the Cold War needed to be told. I did not have the means to tell it on my own. I certainly didn't have the means to tell it on my own to, and market it to the degree that Daily Wire can. And so when they offered me that, I took it. And then we did America's Forgotten Heroes. Now, this is not widely known, but I don't think I'm particularly telling tales after school here. America's Forgotten Heroes, we did shoot on video. We did, but it didn't go out on video. And when it didn't go out on video, it's because Jeremy contacted me and said, look, I, I took a look at it. I just don't like the set. I just don't think it's up to the standards that we had with Apollo 11. I'm just going to release it as, as a podcast. Okay. Okay. That's also their business, but it got a lot of attention. Now, I should point out, that all three of these series that I've done for them, Apollo 11, The Cold War, and America's Forgotten Heroes, got to be number two in the world on Apple Podcasts in all categories. Not just, not just in history, number two in the world in all categories for the time that those series were actually running live. So that means a lot of people got to hear the message that I had to uh, deliver about Apollo, about the Cold War, and about the people that we've forgotten in this country, and 
I had not got the means to produce it, and I certainly didn't have the means to promote it. So, so to be number two in the world on on Apple Podcasts for all three series, and by the way, I suppose the only reason to get to number one is to give me something to, to aim for, meant that the that that the that the stuff was being seen. And when and I'm speaking for myself again here. If, if I was about the money, I'd be making more money. And the, the reason I'm in such a terrible place right now is because I'm not even getting the views. I'm getting turned down on the views. Daily Wire has the means to steamroller the views because they have an enormously effective and large and expensive marketing team, and they can get my message out there. Now, the one I'm working on now, I was given a similar sized offer as for the other three. And... I had pitched to them, I want to do a series on the terror masters of the Soviet Union. And my thought was very simple. I'll just do one episode about each one of the guys who headed the secret police. Episode one would be about Jerzynski. Jerzynski. Episode two would be about Mezhinsky. Three would be Yagoda. Four would be Yezhov. Five would be Beria. And then I'd throw in Putin at the end. And that is a fairly contained piece of work, and the deal that I signed was for that. As I started writing it, I began to realize that I couldn't tell the story of how of how somebody had the authority to go out and murder 10 million people by shooting them back of the head or starving them to death without understanding the political framework that those people lived in. And so I personally made a decision to enormously expand the scope of what I was going to do and add four or five times the amount of work to my plate without an increase in pay because I thought it was important. I've just delivered the fourth episode, fifth's on its way, and all the, all the time was done in the research. This is the best stuff I've ever written. And, and it is, of all the things that I've done in terms of uh, Cold War or, or uh, Apollo 11 or whatever. This is the most important one. This is what happens when you have a totalitarian so- so- socialist state. I spend eight episodes talking about murder, murder, state murder. It is the most important message that can possibly be out there. And when I tripled or quadrupled or quintupled the amount of work that I was going to do, I did it unilaterally and I didn't ask for more money because I made the pitch. I'm an adult. I signed the contract, and I'm not going to go and start playing around with contracts after I've signed it. Now, as this has gone on, at the same time that I got the offer, the, the firm offer to do the next one of these series, they also told me they were going to pay me to go back and shoot video for the Cold War and America's Forgotten Heroes, which in my opinion is free money. The we did it, I want to say, first half of November. I, I had to shoot 13 episodes. I think it was, I, I, I don't remember how many pages of teleprompter it was. It was something like 400 pages of teleprompter. And I loved it. When I say it's free money, performing, for me, is, is fun. It's fun. The writing is the work. The research and the writing—that's the work. Just reading off a teleprompter, any chimp can do that, and that's how I got the—that's how I got on air at PJTV. For those of you who haven't heard the story, I was working as an editor in the very early days of PJTV. PJTV was trying to do a daily newscast to keep up with Fox News and so on, and 
I'm sitting there at an editing station. This is very early, within the first couple of weeks of me being there. And they're running around saying that one of the hosts was stuck in traffic, wasn't going to be here in time for this live show. Does anybody out there know how to read a teleprompter? I'd never read a teleprompter before, but I had a theater background. And I had been doing live planetarium shows off the top of my head since I was 15. So I went in there, and this is the very early days of PJTV, it's very early days of internet TV, and I got on there, and I'm sitting here with somebody else, and we're looking at the monitors, and I've got the little IFB, the, uh, the, the, the something fold back thing, the, the little thing that I'm talking to the booth with. And so they would say, okay, let's go to the, let's go to the, uh, to the um, Republican National Convention clip. So they would tell me that. So I'd, ta- so I'd toss it to the Republican National Convention clip. I said, okay, now let's go down and talk to our friends over at the, on the floor of the Republican National Convention. And, and just as I'm saying that in my ear, it's like, we don't have the footage. Footage is not running. Now, I had seen the other people who'd gone in and do this in the first days of PJTV. And when the footage wasn't ready, they just went deer in the headlights. But I didn't because I had had some background in this kind of thing. So when they said that to me, toss it to the, to the guy on the floor of the RNC, and I tossed it to the guy on the floor on the RNC, and as I'm finishing it up, I say, from the floor of the uh, Republican National Convention, they're saying, hang on, we don't have the video. What I said was, and now we're going to go down to the floor of the uh, Republican National Convention. You know what? Before we do that, Hold on to that thought for a second. Before we do that, let's put some of this in kind of context. And now yours truly is doing the tap dancing. I am tap dancing my way through this in order to preserve the illusion that we knew what we were doing. So I don't have any problem with when they offered me more money to read the thing on camera, I just looked at it as pretty much free money. Now, now we get to, you know, I keep saying now we get to the point of it. I think that my, my, my conservative principles tell me that I should be able to make any legal deal that I want to and that And that if I sign a contract as an adult, I'm responsible for living up to that contract. There have been many times when I've agreed to something where I didn't think I was getting enough money. And you know whose fault that was? That was my fault. And the reason that I didn't, the reason that I didn't get as much money as I would have liked for this one is because it's my fault. Now, Jeremy and I started Declaration Entertainment. Declaration Entertainment was the parent company of Daily Wire. Jeremy was working with me for Declaration Entertainment from 2008 until at least 2010, 11, 12, 14, I think 14. And most of the money coming into Declaration Entertainment was money was coming from my fans watching my new Firewall series. Okay. So Jeremy Boring and I spent eight or 10 hours a day for six years. And we started at this building on Ventura Boulevard, I had an edit bay. He was in the next room. He had an office. Now, when when we decided to go separate ways, and, and Jeremy had met and started working with Ben, and they did, um, uh, before they did Truth Revolt, they did, um, oh, what was it called? They had turned around these two websites by doing content. Jer- Jeremy and Ben had, had done, what was it before Truth Revolt? I can't remember. Anyway, it was another one. 
And so they moved around. Finally, they went and found some investors and they started Daily Wire. And I have watched them. When I say I've watched them grow, I was in one of the two office buildings that that company's one office building, who am I kidding? One of the two cubicles that we had rented on one corner of one floor. I was in one room, but Jeremy was right behind me in the other room. So I have watched them grow. And I was back there for the uh, midterm elections. And every time I go back there, and I mean, I've, every time, every time I go back there, I'm more and more impressed with what they've got and what they're doing. So now to weigh in on, on, on this whole thing. I would have preferred for the Apollo series and all of the others to live on YouTube because I think people need to hear it. When they took it down and put it behind the paywall, they did it for business reasons. And now here's the point of points, right? First of all, I knew that they owned this property because they had paid me for it. They can do whatever they want with it. I don't get to complain about that, right? That was the deal. And while I was disappointed that it was taken off of YouTube, I also understood that it's not my business to tell them how to run this company that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars while mine is worth hundreds of dollars, right? I am not in any position to tell them that. If they want to put it behind their paywall, they paid for it, it's theirs, that's their business. And it's a business. And now we're on to the whole thing about the, the because uh, I'll get to the Steve thing, as far as the Daily Wire thing. The reason I mention all this stuff about Jeremy is because Jeremy Boring and I are good friends. And when, when we negotiated for all of these things, he was not generous with me. There were times when I thought he was being pretty, well, he was. He'd be in pretty hard nose with me. And some part of me said, you know, that's not very nice. But then the adult in me kicked in, okay? And the adult in me said that it's not Jeremy Boring's job to negotiate my side of the contract. If Jeremy Boring could have gotten that for $100, that wouldn't have been very nice to me. But then again, if he'd offered me $100, I wouldn't have signed it, right? So, so it's not his job to negotiate my side of the contract. And if I had insisted that the thing went on YouTube, then very likely they wouldn't have done it. So I guess unlike Steve, Steve and Jeremy know each other peripherally. Jeremy Boring and I, are, we were best friends. We were spending, we spent 10 hours a day together, at least that, for six solid years. And I put a lot of my time and effort into Declaration Entertainment and all I got out of it was, well, I got the membership back. I had to pay for that. That's the deal. That's the agreement. Does he drive a hard bargain? Yes, he drives an extraordinarily hard bargain. But it didn't cost us the friendship because it's business. And I'm old enough now and had enough of the stupid beaten out of me to understand that it's not his job to negotiate my side of the, the contract. It's my job. And I'm not very good at it. And I know it. And and he knows it. And for me to expect him to give me a break and 
and toss me some extra money because I'm no good at negotiating my side of the contract is not a realistic position to be in. It, it, it doesn't mean we're not friends. If I, if I called Jeremy Boring right now and said, man, I am in deep trouble. Can you loan me some money? He would loan me as much money as I could ask for personally, because then it would be personal, right? Then it wouldn't be business, it would be personal. So here's, and I'm going to get to the, to the greedy thing, because a lot of people are saying Elon Musk paid $40 million for free speech. I find it greedy to put content behind the firewall, uh, and so on. Let me, let me address this, okay? Because this is the point. This is the part I'm trying to explain to people, because I'm trying to actually calm this thing down. I don't want to ramp this up. I like both of these people. Steve Crowder and I sat on a boat in 2010 or 11. Steve Crowder and I were on a little fishing boat with two other guys in the middle of Fidel Castro's Guantanamo Bay, pulling fish out of Guantanamo Bay. That's kind of a cool thing to say. Right? So I know both these guys. But I don't get to tell Jeremy how to run his business because he's running a business and I'm running a business and I am mature enough and I'm uh, to some degree self-confident enough to say he does a better job of it than I do, right? There are a number of things that I could do to make this business more profitable. I choose not to do it. That's my choice. But... But, but, if Jeremy wasn't such a good businessman, then there would not have been the money to do the Apollo 11 series, or the Cold War, or America's Forgotten Heroes. It wouldn't have gotten done. It would never have happened. It happened because his business acumen is so sharp that he had the money to spend on these things. And I... I it wouldn't have happened otherwise. So while, while there are parts of this that I don't like, and even a few parts of it, minor parts of it, don't really appreciate, I have never ever had any kind of a problem with them because that was the deal. That was the deal. And I've always tried my best to speak respectfully about them because I respect them. And, and, and every time I go in there, I say to my friend Jeremy, dude, you are, I don't know what you, you are kicking its ass, man. Now, now let's get to the whole collusion about, you know, collusion with big tech, because I've seen a lot of people saying a couple things. And one of the things they're saying is, is that Daily Wire is playing into the hands of uh, big tech for this. To say that Daily Wire is colluding with big tech was just, that's just a cheap shot. There's no other, there's no other word for it. It's just a cheap shot. You can disagree with them, and many people do. And like I said, I would have preferred uh, all of these series to be up on YouTube. But to say that Jeremy taking uh, Apollo 11 down and putting it behind the firewall so he can make money off of what he paid for, for me to say that means he's in pocket with big tech is just plain silly. It's not. It, it's He's running a business. And a lot of people are saying, you know, uh, we, he's, they're, they're, all, they're too concerned with money. They're very concerned with money. 
right? They're very concerned with money at Daily Wire, and that's why they're successful. Daily Wire is not big tech, uh, for those of you who are saying that they are big tech. They're not. They're not big tech. They are... Let, let's take, a, let's take a, an example that's clear off the table, okay? It's got nothing to do with me, nothing to do with Steve, and let's just, let's just get rid of that for a minute. The most important documentary that's come out in the last 10 years, 20 years, is What is a Woman? Right? That, that work is really powerful. That movie never would have been made if there wasn't a business behind it. And this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about. To say that Ben Shapiro had a secret dinner with Mark Zuckerberg is not is not an indication that they are working on the same team, guys. I... Look, Luther Carnivore says, I would be convinced that Daily Wire isn't in bed with big tech if they moved their free content to Rumble. Um, be uncancelable. Well, we're watching this on YouTube right now, right? A number of people watch this. What, right now we got 340 viewers on YouTube, which is a record. And we got 63 on Twitch. But the Stratosphere Lounge is is seen by people on YouTube. So since, um, I just want to make sure I understood that correctly because I'm trying to be fair here. And Convinced Daily Wire isn't in bed with big tech if they move their free content to Rumble, be uncancelable. We have made it a policy to put our videos on Rumble, and we've made it a policy on the website so that at BillWhittle.com, those embedded webs those embedded videos at BillWhittle.com go to the Rumble website. But nobody watches it on Rumble. Well, that's not entirely true. But when I did the thing for Invisible Man, YouTube, YouTube streams 10 billion hours a day. This is where the audience is. So, the thing that I find a little odd about, uh, about Stephen's uh, argument is that the reason he's so valuable from a sheer marketing point of view is because of his YouTube presence. That's what they're buying, right? They're buying those eyeballs. That's it. The, Steve's value is based on the five or six million subscribers that he's gotten on YouTube. And so does that, I, I don't see how that makes Steve Crowder a, a, a tool of, of big tech or a, a particular opponent of big tech. I don't get it. He's, he's, his entire success has been playing ball on, on, on YouTube. Now, people say Rumble's growing exponentially. That's fine, but it's still a fraction of 1% of the total YouTube audience. So, so I think that the way to beat big tech, and Steve, Steve Crowder mentioned this, was is to create an, an alternative platform that works better than Rumble does and so on. And I think the only people out there that have the means to do that, this is my personal opinion on this, is Daily Wire. We're, we're like, conservatives are like, um, 
pick a good example. Like Sweden competing with the United States in terms of defense, right? I've got a couple super chats that I'm going to get to. Um, Mug Club is not on YouTube. It's like your membership at your website. But yes, I understand that. Thank you. But but his views are largely on YouTube. So I I don't see why you had to um, uh, go public with this. And and I'll and I'll say something else. Um, Steve started. I had the, we did a virtue signal on this today. In the early days of PJTV, I got started there. I got hired as an editor, and I just told you that story. After I'd been there for a while, I saw this guy, Alfonso Rachel, and I thought he was really, really good. And I said to PJTV, I think you ought to hire this guy. I think he's great. So they made him an offer, and they did. And then everything Alfonso Rachel did got owned by PJTV. He signed the deal because he needed the money, same as I did. And then I didn't know this until today. Then Zoe said that he went to PJTV and said, you ought to take a look at the Steve Crowder guy. And Steve Crowder got hired at PJTV, and he was the golden boy. When I went down to, uh, to Guantanamo Bay the second time, I was really starting to hit my stride. I'd done, you know, uh, three and a half days, and I was starting to get to be, you know, starting to make a, a, a real impression in the, in the atomic bomb thing. And when it was clear that they were going down for the second year, the executive producer at PJTV, I said, well, what am I going to be doing here, down there? And he said, well, you can shoot, you know, you, you can be there to shoot B-roll for, for Steve, and, and you, can, uh, you can do, you know, essentially he said you can hold the mic for Steve Crowder. Okay, now that hurt my feelings, but it didn't, I didn't slam the door and go walking out, and I didn't go, you know, public on that. So, so Steve Crowder was a wage slave at PJTV, and I assume he was a wage slave at, at, um, at The Blaze. And we're all wage slaves. And to record a conversation without the other party knowing it, and for the big gotcha moment, which is in his second video, is to say that, yes, if somebody new comes up, then they'll come over, work for us, be a wage slave for four years, and when they're done with their contract, they'll be famous. He's right. The only thing that I don't understand is, well, I, there, is, there, is one, there is one way. Uh, we're not talking about the money because the dollar value of the money I don't think enters into this in any way. Um, King of, King of uh, Cleans here has something really to say. He says, children, conservatives are like children. They want our side to compete with big tech, but they demand our creators give everything away for free. I kind of think that's really essentially what I'm trying to say. Daily Wire is the best-run business I've ever seen. I watched them grow from me and Jeremy into a space, combined space, easily smaller than what you see inside your frame now, to a company that's worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, employs 250 people, and has the money to do things like what is a woman and so on, and to hire um, Candace Owens, First time I ever saw Candace Owens was when she was asking me questions on something I did for PJTV. 
Okay. You, you know, you, you, you just kind of make your own bed here. And, and I just think that this business of, of calling it out and is, is, I think it's, I think it's just wrong. When Ronald Reagan talked about the 11th commandment being thou shall not speak ill of other Republicans, it's because he knew that even then, even in, in the 80s, he knew that the left owns virtually all of the loud speakers. They don't own all of the message, but they own all of the volume of the message. And anytime you give them something like that, they will use it against you. Ronald Reagan never said, thou shalt not uh, disagree with Republicans. He said, thou shalt not speak ill of Republicans, meaning you shouldn't do it in public. Now I see already a bunch of channels that have got the, 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 now we see the inside of the right and so on. Now, Ant, Ant-Man Channel has been defending Steve pretty strongly, and I'm trying to be as fair as I can here. He said, Crowder never wanted to go this route. He felt like he had no other choice. See, and again, I'm here to calm things down, not to ramp them up. So when I say this, I'm not being flippant. I'm not being sarcastic. Can you explain that to me? How he didn't have another choice? I don't, I don't understand that. If, if, Steve didn't like the way Daily Wire is doing their business, then he's got a right to not like it. And he's probably got a right to say, I don't like the way they're doing it. But, but you know, to, to read these contract terms out and stuff, and, and then in the, in, and I guess I'm probably done. I want to just keep rehashing this. Um, but the final video, I don't know if you've seen it. It's only been out for a couple hours. He recorded, um, he recorded Jeremy uh, without his knowledge. And when Jeremy explained how the contract works and how the terms of the contracts work, um, he he um, he said that Jeremy said this is this is how the business works, and Steve says it doesn't have to. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. There's a different model, and it's a scalable model. And basically what Steve Crowder was saying on his own recording, I just saw it, I listened to both sides of the argument. He was basically telling Jeremy that that there was a way to run his business different than the way he was running his business. And I just thought that was remarkable. Um, Now, this is something I really do want to address, okay? Because I really do want to address this. Where is it? Astrochronic. Please do not side with Daily Wire over Stephen Crowder, Bill Whittle. I can't have any more of my heroes self-assassinate. Well, I've tried to be fair here, and I've tried to say I see Steve's point, and I've tried to say, and I have said, that I've made the same decisions as Steve has because I didn't like the terms of that contract. But I don't, I cannot do my job with this kind of threat hanging over my head. And when I say threat, that's what it is. Um, I, 
I am probably going to lose members over the fact that I'm trying to be fair about this. And I can't afford it, but I'm probably going to. I could have kept my mouth shut about this, and, and, and on a business sense, I probably should have. But I can't, I can't, I can't not talk about this because I don't want to lose money. I can't not talk about this because if people say, well, you're, you're on one side or the other side of this argument, the Crowder people say you're on Daily Wire side, goodbye, or the, or the Daily Wire people say you're on Crowder's side, goodbye. What, what, kind of a, what kind of a world is this? You know, what kind of a, what kind of a world have, have they basically, you know, put us into? Where it's like, and I've talked about this many times, this precedes this conversation by years. Of all the things that, that happen in this business that make me want to just hang it up, and I've talked with Zoe about this and a number of other people too, the only thing that really makes me want to hang it up is not being called a racist and seeing my name as a racist in the, in the headlines of the Los Angeles Times. That hurt. All the rest of it hurt, right? But the thing that kills me is to, to have somebody say to me, and I get this all the time, I get this all the time, Bill, I've been following you since the days of eject, eject, eject. I've been a member for 14 years, um, but you said something I disagree with, and now you're dead to me. Okay. Okay. W what do I say about that? I'm not trying to pick a side here. I'm trying to explain where both sides of this comes from, and I'm trying to explain how I was able to manipulate, manipulate, maneuver is probably a better term. I was able to maneuver around the parts of a deal that I liked and the parts of a deal that I didn't like without trashing the other side of the pe people publicly because I see both of their points. I see both of their points. And to me, that's just a disagreement. Okay. But to, but to make it a, you know, here's the redacted contract and and to and to say that it's unreasonable for him for jeremy or for daily wire to say that if you don't deliver a certain number of shows then we're going to penalize you for that to call that killing the the movement is it's not fair you you certainly are welcome to think that Daily Wire is too mercenary in terms of their money-making strategy. I've thought that many times. But I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. Stay with me here. Because I don't want to lose anybody. All right? And I don't want people who've, who admire me to suddenly give up on me because I've, I've turned traitor to the cause by speaking about this rationally. What's happened is, um, is that they have been so effective at dividing people up and they've been so effective at, at turning everything into a life or death battle that now we're at the point where if anybody disagrees with you, then they're a traitor to the cause. And that's kind of what I thought Steve did with Daily Wire. He didn't just disagree with them. He came out and said that they're on the other side. If I thought they were on the other side, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't be working with them. Colonel Angus says, Daily Wire has sold out to Meta, just ask the NSA, or AKA the NSA. If Daily Wire had sold out to Meta, and it genuinely sold out to Meta, then why did they release What is a Woman? And why do they put Ben Shapiro out there every day? And why do they, why would, let's just take the what, what is a woman? Why would they release What is a Woman if they're in bed with Meta and Meta's all about this progressive politics? To have a meeting with somebody is not the same as agreeing with them, right? If, if look, if, uh, I'm just trying to get to the bottom of all of this stuff, right? If, if Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg called me tomorrow and said, Bill, I want you to come in, I want to talk to you, I would absolutely go. And I wouldn't absolutely go because it'd give me a chance to make some money by selling out my principles. I would absolutely go because I want to know why that lunatic is saying what he's saying. I would absolutely go because I want to. I want to know more about this guy who I think is an enormous threat to democracy. And the main reason I would go, if Zuckerberg invited me to a meeting, is I would go because I wanted to say, "Who do you think you are that you can take hundreds of millions of dollars and throw a campaign? Who do you think you are?" That's. But I would take the meeting, and me taking the meeting does that make me working for Meta? Actually, it doesn't. All of this is. I'll just leave you with this, okay? Like I said, I've tried to be fair here, and and I haven't tried to sling mud at anybody, and I've tried to explain that I've been on both sides of these issues, and I've made the decision that Crowder made once, and I've made the decision that Crowder didn't make once, more than once. But this is the most important point. The grand strategy of, of the Frankfurt School is, the Frankfurt School is a group of communist philosophers. This is not conspiracy. You look it up. After World War, listen carefully because this is the point. This is the only thing that matters. After World War I, the Marxists who wanted to run the world looked at the wreckage. I'm talking about the early 20s to mid 20s now. Looked at the wreckage of World War I and they said, where is the worldwide socialist revolution that Marx promised us? Marxists take Marx at his word when Marx says that this is not theory, this is science. This is what will happen. And when you live here, as I do for the last five months, one of the reasons that, that, um, that uh, Lenin ended up signing this disastrous treaty of, uh, of uh, Brest-Litovsk was because he kept thinking that any day now, the social revolution is going to come to Germany. Germany is going to go communist any day now. They thought that until the day they died. So did so did Stalin. So did so did Trotsky. Now, after World War I, the communists got together and they said, why hasn't this happened? And the conclusion they came to was, was because those bastard capitalists had made life so much better for the working man that the working man had no longer any reason to burn society down. Capitalism was providing people for with enough money so that so that they had indoor plumbing. Hell, American workers had their own cars. Can't compete with that. So the Marxists got together and they started something called the Institute for Marxism, which I think is a little on the nose, but that's what it was called. And they put the Institute for Marxism 
in Frankfurt, Germany, and so they refer to it as the Frankfurt School. It's a, it's a, it's a think tank. Now, the, the Frankfurt School came to realize that the, that the capitalists were producing so much of value and improving the lives of workers so much that Marx's theory was not going to work. Now, if it had been me, and I'd been worried about the workers, I would have said, well, looks like they're being less oppressed. They're getting better conditions, better wages. Their lives are improving exponentially. We don't need this Marxism, but that's not how they think. They're about control. So they basically said, since it's not going to come through the economy, how are we going to get Marxism to take over the world? And they said, instead of it coming through the economy, we'll bring it in through the culture. And instead of having it be the working man, the laborer, our vanguard will be the dispossessed. The dispossessed. They decided that they could bring down capitalism, really meaning America, only by forcing it to collapse internally. And the way they decided to do that was, was to turn every aspect of American society against each not against each other, against the middle. So critical theory says you tell black people that America is the most racist country in the history of the world. You tell gay people that it's the most homophobic country in the history of the world. You tell women it's the most misogynist country in the history of the world. And you keep dividing people up and you make sure that they only attack the middle. They can never attack each other. You can never have the feminists going after blacks. That's not how it works. Everything has to attack the middle. And it's been wildly successful. And we have seen so much damage done since Obama became president, especially out in front of us, that whenever we see something now, we have a knee-jerk reaction to it. And we, and we have been taught this, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. But, but this idea that, that because so much chicanery and lying and, and, and um, destruction is going on out there, is that anybody who disagrees with me is part of it, that's, that's dangerous. Worse than that, it is precisely, exactly what they designed a hundred years ago and have been implementing for a hundred years for the last century. I'm not trying to pick on you personally, but for the last century, they have been trying to get to the country to a place where if somebody shares the most of the same values I, I share and I say something they don't agree with, they basically said, please don't self-assassinate yourself. You're dead to me now. That's the goal. That's the target, right? Because if this is, if this continues, then what they get is they don't have a country anymore. You don't even have conservatives anymore. You just have a number of people who, who agree with you on 100% of the issues. And if they don't, then they're part of the enemy. And that's how you lose the war. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I, I can't control people who say, if, I, if you say something that I disagree with, you're dead to me. I can't. I can't. I just, I can't. I am heartbroken about it. I really am. I'm heartbroken. When I, when I see those kind of comments, it makes me almost just, well, first of all, it makes me just want to pack up. And secondly, it makes me want to cry because it's hurtful to me for people to say, I've been such a fan of yours and because and, and I don't give a shit about me. They don't know me. The fan of the work, right? The fan of the message. I believed in the message. I believe in you. I believe in the message, but I can't believe in you anymore because I disagree with you about this thing. That just breaks my heart, man. 
it just breaks my heart, just rips my heart out of my body. It's just, it's just, it's just a horrible, 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 horrible thing to have to deal with, right? Uh, and now here's Steve Walker saying, I got pulled by Jeremy. Yep, I, I'm just a, I'm just a, um, I'm, a, I'm just some simp cuck who is manipulated by, uh, by the big money movement. Okay, believe what you want to. Uh, but if you really are at the point now where people are on the same team, Aunt Manchino says, I know you're friends with Jeremy, Bill, but let's not throw Stephen under the bus. Did I throw Stephen under the bus during this discussion? Does anybody think I threw him under the bus? Does anybody here think that in the time I've been talking about this, I basically said that I've taken the Daily Wire stand against Crowder? Did I not just say I've made many of the things, that the decisions that Crowder's made with Daily Wire, I've made the same decisions? Okay. Uh, Jamie DeLorenzo says, who cares if you have a broken heart? If you're with Daily Wire, you're with Big Tech, and you're on the wrong side. Uh, Jamie, did you ever see any of the uh, Apollo 11 series that I did or the Cold War or anything like that? Just you particularly. I'm just curious. I'll wait. I'm waiting for uh, Jamie to answer uh, whether he's seen any of the Cold War or, or any of that stuff. Because a lot of people have. And... Um, and not just Apollo, but the Cold War and America's Forgotten Heroes. So if it turns out that, um, that me doing eight episodes or 10 or 13 episodes on why the American space program was, was the highlight of American culture, why we deserve to win the Cold War and everything that the Soviets did and everything that the Russians did and all of the arguments that they use against us in terms of Michael Moore saying, oh, we started all these wars. No, we didn't. We didn't start the Korean War. We didn't start the Vietnam War. All of this stuff is laid out, right? And if you never heard the story of John Paul Jones or, or the story of, um, of uh, Taffy Three or the story of... Um, Frank Luke, lots of people have, and they've heard of it because Daily Wire paid me to write those things. So now you're saying that I'm part of big tech too. And that's, that's, that, that, that's just, that just rolls off my back. Because if I was a big part of, if I was a part of big tech, I'd have a lot more money in it than I do now. Okay. I've taken most of the money I've made at Daily Wire and poured it into BillWhittle.com because this, this company doesn't make as much money as it spends. I've taken all that work. I don't have any savings. I don't have anything. I put it into this company to keep the message going. So if I was a member of uh, the big tech cabal, I get the feeling I wouldn't be in quite the financial struggle that I'm in now. Right? So... Uh, I know what I've done to help this country and to help what, what America's about. I'm not entirely sure what you've done, Jamie. 
but if I'm a tool of big tech, then they haven't sent me the memo about it yet. And I find that kind of comment to be, I find it to be very, very, very left-wing. Very absolutist, very much like if you don't agree with the with the party line, then you're then you're out of the party. Okay, um, so um, there you go. Uh, I got nothing to add to that. Um, but that's my uh, that's my take on it. Uh, and I've missed so many of these. Um, super chats. Let me get to as many as I can real quick because people have been very generous. Cody Fett. Thank you, Cody. If it's any consolation, Bill, I've been, I furiously disagreed with you on many issues over the years, but I've never considered you dropping my membership because I've thought you were acting the fool. <laughs> well, thank you, Cody. That means an awful lot to me. Tanya Grandezina with just a super chat. Thank you. Uh, and here's a real, real nice one from Rob Rass, just for $100 saying, I support Bill Little. Thank you. That's very kind. I want to get to as many of these as I can. Uh, Lapco92 says, just came here to get your take because you're above board and know all the parties. You've been incredibly fair. I can see both sides as well. Respect, Bill. Thank you very much. I need that today. Uh, Whittleton says, Whittleton says, Bill, one of the Facebook comments might make you feel better. Basically, one of the guys is supporting you, and I agree. We will be okay and believe in you. I needed that too. Thank you. And thank you for the for the super chat. Uh, Monk and Training says they're saying Daily Wire sold out to make to Meta because Ben pays 1.5 million average to Meta. By the way, apparently Steve had set up his anti-con site over a month back. Possibly a money grab. Candace was throwing fire tonight on Tim Pool. I don't know what this means about Ben throws pays one point five million dollar average Ben pays meta a million and a half dollars every year if that's true I'd like to know what he does it for he's not on their side uh, looking forward here got a couple coming up hang on I want to get all of them uh, gravy Donson what a great name I've tried not to follow situations it just makes me sad to see two people I like fighting but I wanted to say it's reassuring hearing you say things that make sense love your content take care thank you very much that's very kindly and then I'm trying to catch up on all these things and we'll move on uh, and again uh, Rob thank you very much for that one especially that was really nice uh, Eric God says, big tech is ubiquitous. It's the sea we swim in. You can't blame Jeremy for getting wet. His heart is in the right place. The irony would be anyone opinionated who watches this unfold on YouTube. That's kind of my point. We're all watching this on YouTube, right? Uh, Tanya says, I miss your firewall videos. I miss them too, Tanya. I've been doing four or five months of, of, of this job on, on this thing. It's not fair to my members. I'm stuck. I, 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 I have to do it. And I, and I want to do it. And I made a decision to hurt my own business by making this thing bigger than it was originally going to be. I could have kicked this thing out the door and still got paid the same amount. It still would have been fine. But, but it's a bigger story and, I, and it needs to be told. So I'm, I'm just taking... I'm taking the best path I can to do the best I can for this country. Um, okay, so it's his ad budget on Facebook. 
So, so, so this is the thing. See, I'm, I'm really just trying to understand this. Okay. Uh, yeah, Jamie, you're starting to sound a little, a little bit like a Chinese bot now. Um, Because that's what you are. See how easy it is? Um, so, how is it, how is it that paying Meta a million and a half dollars in advertising, how is that treasonous? Right? You are advertising a product that opposes meta and you're putting your money there because that's where the eyeballs are. You cannot win by playing defense all the time. I'm a big football fan. I've given this some thought. If you have an overwhelming defense and no offense at all, then the only points you're going to get are off of interceptions or off of safeties. If I had to pick between a team that was all offense or all defense, I'd take the all offense. I'd like a balance. But what's the point? What's the point of repeating the message to people who already get the message? If you can advertise on, on Facebook and, and reach people that you wouldn't have reached otherwise, then there we go. Uh, well, that's 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 the first understandable um, uh, cancellation comment I've ever heard. Justin Witsit for four nine nine says, "Bill, I'm canceling my membership. The drama? Oh, it's nothing to do with the drama. It's because you're a damn Gators fan. See, that's reasonable to me. I understand that. Um, because, despite the fact that uh, we need to get as many members as possible, if somebody was openly bragging about being a Florida State fan, let's say, I just plain cancel." I mean, you have to have your standards and your morals. So that I, that, that I can actually believe. Um, so anyway, um, uh, TJ, uh, sorry, THS Engineer says, Bill, you need to be a little more of a businessman, bid higher on your next Daily Wire project. Uh, actually, TS, THS Engineer, I need to be a lot more of a businessman. And by the way, this is the, um, this is the, the good news. Uh, next time I talk about a project for Daily Wire, I'm going to have a number floating in the head. I've tried to be reasonable as much as possible, and I know I'm not worth what Steve Crowder's worth, not even close in terms of in terms of dollar value, not even close. But since that number has been floating around out there, I believe I might have to have a, a slightly different um, opinion on this. By the way, uh, this series I'm working on now, I just delivered uh, the fourth script. I'm, I'm, it's accomplished one thing that's really, really good. Dave Big Booty says, will you pitch the colonies to Daily Wire? Actually, I will, but I will do it in a much better way than I would have before because I will do it with a producer who doesn't work for Daily Wire, but who has worked for Daily Wire, and it will go in a lot more, will go in a lot more effectively. Thank you very much for that, uh, Dondi. Uh, worth 10 times what Crowd is worth. Yeah. I know. Uh, <laughs> 
where was I? Um, oh, come on. Uh, I forgot. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, oh, I remember. Uh, when I when I opened the series up, I added an episode, which means it's even more time I'm going to have to spend not doing firewalls in this new series I want to do called Don't Be an Idiot. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to find the, the, the best thing I can do for, for, for the message. Um, however, uh, thank you, Astrochronic. See, this is how we this is how we win, right? This is how this is how we beat these people. This is how we beat them. Astrochronic said, "I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, Bill." And now we win, right? That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Thank you for that. That took that took a lot of courage and a lot of guts. Now I'm really I'm not so going to be able to hold this one back. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was very, very, very important. If we could learn to do that more often, uh, we'd be in a lot better shape. We'd be in a lot better shape. Those of you, thank you. People who've, um, who've heard about the colonies and what I'm doing here, uh, GK Masterson says, I'm not sure the colonies is a good deal for Daily Wire. Now here's the point, right? I'm talking, I'm working with a producer that I've worked with who produced Apollo 11, uh, uh, The Cold War, America's Forgotten Heroes, and I talked to him about the colonies. And he said he's interested, and he's a businessman, and he's a great producer. He's produced the stuff I'm working on now. He's produced all of those series. And I told him I want to do the colonies, and he said, I'm interested. And I said, let's do the crowdfunding thing. And he said to me, now listen carefully, because this is the, essentially the entire argument that I've been making for the last hour and a half. He said, I said, look, I don't want to take it to Daily Wire because he's told me what he wants to do with it, and I think it can be bigger than that. And he said to me, that's his initial position, Bill. Why don't we figure out what it is you want? This is my producer friend. Why don't we figure out what it is that you want, me, what I want, what Bill wants. We're going to figure out what Bill wants. Take that to him and then see if he says yes or no to that. Take what you want to him rather than what he's offering to you. Take what you want to him and see if he says yes. If he says yes, you're golden. If he says no, then we go and we do the other route. I thought, like, why? What, duh, you know, duh. It's, it's, you know, anyway, Astro, thank you very much for that. Made my whole day. Um, yeah, I could negotiate ourselves right out of a Panama Canal. No question about that. Uh, so, and I'll, I'll, I'll add just one more thing because I think this might have something to do with it. Um, this isn't about Steve Crowder. It's about me. I need an agent. Yes, I do. This is about me. Uh, when I was doing, um, when I was, when people saying, you know, you should just do the firewalls, the company doesn't make enough money for me just to do the firewalls. If I don't do this outside work, 
we close. So, um, several years ago, five, six years ago, I got an offer to do a show on Daily Wire. I'm sorry, on NRA TV. First of all, uh, they had me do a call-in on Grant Stinchfield's show. And so I came on for 10 minutes every day at 9 o'clock. And I almost turned that down because I said, there's no way I can be up at 9 o'clock every day. Turns out I could. And the segment that I did for them on the Stinchfield show was popular enough so that they offered me uh, my own show on a trial basis for 90 days uh, called Hot Mike. And so I did 90 days of Hot Mike. One of the things that put me in the mood that I was in, that I'm about to talk about, because this is just me, but when we were getting ready to negotiate whether or not to make this permanent, just before then, they finally told me, kind of in an official way, we want you to stop making the hot mic jokes. That was my favorite part of the show by far. For those of you who didn't see it, which is I'm sure most of you, the NRA TV came up with a show for me, and they decided to call it Hot Mike, which I thought was great. And on the very first show, I said something to the effect of, Hi, everybody. Um, uh, welcome to Hot Mike. I'm Bill Whittle. Hot Mike couldn't be here tonight because he's auditioning for a new role um, on Broadway. And... <laughs> I still love that joke. And I did 90 versions of that. And if you think about it, that's not easy. Uh, I did 90 versions of that joke. And I had to think of a new one on the spot every day. Yeah, Hot Mike couldn't be here today. He's gapping spark plugs. I thought it was hilarious. I loved it. Just before we went to negotiate me taking this job uh, for, for longer, they said, we just don't think you should be doing the Hot Mike jokes anymore. Uh, and um, somebody, I can't quite read it, says, I hated the hot mic jokes. Okay, that's fine. Y you don't have to like the hot mic jokes, and after that, it's just a you know half an hour and whatever it was of content. Um, thank you. One second. Rodzilla says, I joined Bill over two years ago just to push uh, for lives and super chats. I pushed and pushed and pushed for it. I have to admit, I kind of feel like I'm proud papa watching these chats come in. Thanks, Bill, and thank you very much, Rodzilla, for forcing me to do uh, what I should have been doing in the first place. Um, so anyway, this, look, here, here's, here's what I really want to talk about, and it's a mindset. When it came time to negotiate a new show, continuing Hot Mike with, with NRA TV, I was getting paid a significant amount of money, not, not, not great money. I'm not even talking about um, uh, steep money. I was, I was, it was a significant offer, but it wasn't like an off-the-hook offer. And this is, I talked about this with Zoe today at length. This is where the diseased part of the human heart comes in. I am speaking about myself here, just so everybody's crystal clear on this. But I, I found out what some of the other people on NRA TV were making. And I went at them with an initial offer that I thought was reasonable for what I was doing based on what other people were making. And they said something to the effect of, we can't even get close to that. And I got all huffy about it. And I got all into that kind of, well, I'm worth this and I'm worth that and this guy this. And all the things that I've always talked about as being poison, you know. 
the, that analogy that I like so much about you're working for an insurance company and the boss gives you a $200,000 bonus and you're just over the moon happy. So you find out that he gave everybody else a, a $500,000 bonus, in which case now you're miserable that you just got $200,000. That's how the human heart works. Um, so, um, ah, the, uh, the Chinese bot says, why would anyone pay Bill anything at this point? Nobody wants to hear the content. It sounds like Glenn Beck back from 2011. First of all, I thought Glenn Beck was awesome in 2011. And second, Jamie, why are you still here if this is so boring? That ever cross your mind? I guess it's because the, 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 the Chinese are, are, are paying the money, so I guess you got to be there. Um, anyway, um, so I got into this, I got into this ego space, right? And I got into this up on my hind legs. I am, I'm, and I just plain, I just plain let the deal go. It just didn't happen. Looking back on it, I can't believe I was that stupid. I, I can't believe I was that stupid and that wrapped up in it. I was so filled with a kind of a pride that I, I really lost an opportunity that I deeply regret. Now, it turned out that NRA TV basically kind of went the way of the dinosaurs, so maybe I got lucky on that one. But nevertheless, um, I cannot believe the headspace I was in when I was thinking about what I was worth based on what other people were getting paid. That's not a good place to be, man. What I should have done is I should have, I should have taken that job. I should have gotten the smallest, the shortest contract period available. I should have taken their best offer. And then I should have grown an audience so that when it came time to renegotiate, then I would have had more leverage than I had. I had little leverage because I'd done 90 days of it and it was doing pretty well. Um, but I didn't. I just, I just got outraged. And I started, like I said, got up on my hind legs and I, and I, I got indignant. It's an insult what they're offering me. It's an insult. That's really where I was. And after it was over, years after it was over, and even to this day, I look back on this, what, 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 you know, what? <sighs> Human beings are flawed creatures, you know? One of the things I'm proudest of saying is in terms of uh, pithy statements is it takes, you know, somebody once asked me why are conservatives so old? I said, it takes a while for life to beat the stupid out of you. That's a perfect example of it. I won't make that mistake again. That's why I, that's why I take these offers. Um, I, uh, I was really stupid. And from now on, uh, I'm going to, well, from that point forward, I did. Starting in 2019, four, three, four years after that, I got an offer for, for a lot of work wasn't a huge amount of money, but I didn't do it. I needed the money. I did it because people needed to know about the Apollo program. People needed to know about what we did, and people needed to know about how we got there. Because if you, if you believe the moon landing was fake, then that's only because you've been told that we landed on the moon. We just 
picked up, landed on the moon. That's a big jump. But it's not a big jump if you look at, well, we went around the moon and almost landed on the moon. And before that, we went just around the moon. And before that, we went into Earth orbit with this gigantic rocket that we're going to need. And before that, we did a smaller rocket with two guys. And before that, we did an even smaller rocket with one guy. And and when you see the progression, no one step is astonishing. So you have to ask people, well, at what point did this hoax begin? Was it with Alan Shepard's flight on a redstone? Right? So it was it was great. Um, and... Uh, yeah. So, anyway, I think we're pretty much uh, done with this. I will. I'm. I'm thinking I'll do a firewall about this. Uh, just because I would like it to calm down, and it doesn't seem to be calming down. It seems to be escalating. And uh, if it turns out that uh, that you think I was being unfair to Stephen in this, uh, I'd really like to hear it. I'm. I, nicely if you can but I'd like to hear it because I don't want to be unfair to anybody um, I do know for a certain fact that this kind of argument and polarization is what this evil enemy is trying to accomplish and and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um, I'm not gonna uh, go there hey Jamie says you're on the wrong side you know, Jamie, actually, could you could you do me a favor? Could you just, just go ahead and post it in either Mandarin or, or Cantonese? Because it's a lot of work to translate this stuff into English. And um, and I don't think you're getting your, your money's worth, to be perfectly honest with you. Anyway, enough about that guy. Uh, so let me see uh, what we got in terms of uh, questions here, because I've been a little short on those questions um, before. Okay. Yeah, let's see here. Was that? I don't know if that was for me or not, Dan. I think it probably was. Uh, man, screw politics. You just retire in Mexico and live the life. I actually started on the beach, living the life. That's where I started from. I was. My dad was a hotel manager. I hit the hit the the jackpot. You know, I grew up on the beach in Bermuda. Come on, come check out Starbase. What's Starbase, Casey? Uh, all right, let's go. While I'm talking, while I'm doing this here, uh, member for. All right, here we go. Oh, I'd love to go to Starbase, Texas. Yeah, I sure would. I still am thinking I might do that moon landing animation just because I'd like to get Elon Musk's attention, just because not because I want anything out of him, just to thank him. I just want to do something that says thank you for giving me hope uh, when... Um, thank you for everything, guys. Uh, the um, we passed an enormous milestone uh, last week when when SpaceX had two launches from two different launch centers, not different pads, two launches from two different from two of their three spaceports on the same night. That's 
That's how it works, man. That's how it works. Uh, Alright, let's see what we got. Yep. 11923. Hold on. Yes, 11923. I went to the wrong one. Okay, you got it. All right, let's see what we got here. Um, Ian Nolan, that's oh, a topic. Okay, from Joe R., who's wearing his Let's Go Brandon shirt. Let's go, Brandon. Uh, and thank you again for all the kind words here, everybody. Um, the new Congress and the ATF runs amok. Hi, Bill. Do you have any faith that this new Congress under Kevin McCarthy's leadership will hold the Biden crime family accountable for their flagrant crimes, crimes and incompetence, or do you think Republicans will once again do nothing and just complain? There's a lot coming after that, and I will get to that. I just know I'm tempted to always run off the rails, so let me answer that question first. I don't believe that uh, Kevin McCarthy will hold the um, Biden crime family responsible. But I did see what the Freedom Coalition did in order to get McCarthy the votes he needed to become Speaker of the House. And when when uh, Matt Goetz uh, gave a list of the things that he got out of McCarthy, he essentially said, we stopped because there was nothing else that we that we wanted that we that we didn't get. So I think Kevin McCarthy is a is a is a politician. I think he, he, he likes being in politics. I don't think he's uh, in any way against the system. So yeah, I think he's part of the problem. However, the promises he made to the Freedom Coalition are very specific. And one of them was uh, this idea that, look, if we don't like it, we're just gonna, we're just gonna have another vote. Um, thank you, uh, guys. We're just gonna have another vote and we'll, and we'll just pick another speaker. When we, we did a firewall, on, I'm sorry, did a right angle on this last week, um, Steve, Steve brought, it, brought it in. Um, the, um, uh, Jamie, let me just say, uh, the, um, so no, so, so it's, so the answer is, uh, Joe, is that I am, I am, I have some, hope. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I do have some, I believe it. Look, to answer your question, the first first phase of your question, um, I believe in the Freedom Coalition. I believe in those guys. I think those guys are, um, are for real. I would like for, for them to have picked a speaker that was more in line with, with what I think is important, we didn't get that because we didn't have the votes. But um, we did get some leverage. So I am guardedly hopeful. Um, and by the way, uh, uh, there's been a lot of questioning about Elon Musk and stuff, and I've obviously been a big fanboy of Elon Musk's. Uh, if Elon Musk had gone to the World Economic Forum 
I would have been, like I said, taking a meeting doesn't mean you agree with the meeting. But when he said, when the most, when the richest man in the world decided not to go to the World Economic Forum at, um, in Switzerland, and he said it was because he thought it was boring AF. And also he said in a tweet, he said, um, to be perfectly honest with you, the whole thing gives me the willies. And, he, and then he said, but I'm sure everything will be fine with the, with the, with the kind of suspicious eyes icon. That, that put a lot more confidence into him. I, I was very, very pleased to hear that he didn't go. Okay, so back to, um, back to Joe R. Um, Unfortunately, the Congress isn't rhino-proof, and I fear impeachment will not happen, given at least a handful of rhinos won't let it happen. If anyone deserves to be impeached and removed from office, it's the bumbling potato in the White House, yeah. Uh, I think he's the absolute dumbest and most corrupt president we ever had next to Obama. I think he's much more corrupt than Obama. I don't think he's as dangerous as Obama, because he's a potato. But he's much more corrupt than, than Obama. I'm not saying Obama's a paragon of, of virtue. Um, but he doesn't, he, he's not a grifter, on the, on the, at least not on the same level as, as Biden. I'm sure somebody, in fact, I'm relatively positive Bill Ayers wrote his big autobiography, but in any event, you get the idea. Let's just agree that they're both wretched people and that we should not be uh, looking to them for answers for the republic. Uh, what do you think will happen with this Republican Congress? Any confidence on your end? Personally, I think the House should immediately impeach right now and impeach separately several times for each crime and not wait for the investigations to conclude. Impeach first, ask questions later. Republicans need to mean business for once. I'm 100% in favor of impeaching him, 100%. I think, I said this when they did it to Donald Trump, you want to make this just part of, uh, of the presidency, like your, like your inauguration ceremony? Okay, we're not going to sit here and take it and not hit it back. The way you stop people from playing dirty is... Tit for tat. That's the strategy. The iterated prisoner's dilemma is if somebody screws you, then you screw them back and you keep screwing them back until they stop screwing you. And when they stop screwing you, you stop screwing them. That's the optimal way out of this kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, absolutely. And in this particular case, unlike uh, Donald Trump making a phone call, in this particular case, you've got concrete evidence in terms of the, of, of the laptop. And now with the, with the documents, you know, Boom. Um, P.S. Have you been hearing that the ATF is going door to door at law abiding Americans homes and harassing and confiscating their guns with no due process? I have heard a little bit about this. This trend is accelerated as, as states are ignoring the Supreme Court and quickly passing the most anti 2A laws in decades. I'm in New York and the laws here are much worse since the Bruin decision this past summer. The ATF also just passed a ban on pistol braces, which makes millions of gun owners into felons overnight. In light of all of this, I just bought my first AK-47 style rifle, and I love it. I'm sure that was that this comment was written before that tragic boating accident where all of your firearms went overboard in the bottom of a lake and, and, and don't own anymore. But anyway, I'm more of an AR guy, but this AK is a beast. You can run these things over and over and crawl through the mud with them, and they will still hold up. Maybe this is going to go... Maybe this will be my go-to if the S hits the fan uh, weapon. Things are getting really bad out there, and I encourage everyone listening to this to go out and buy what you can and stock up. God bless and stay sane out, stay sane out there, Bill. It's going to be a bumpy ride. It is. That's why we all have to stick together here. Um, so uh, I have not heard about that. 
um, uh, there's like a, an engineering good side, bad side here. If they act widely enough and quickly enough so that it makes an effect, then that will trigger the, the 2A response. We all know what that is. If they do this one person at a time or 10 people at a time, that's hard to say that that will cause a, um, a national rebellion, but it also means that they can't get to anything like, you know, the hundreds of millions of us. The federal government is, it's just not a government anymore. It's a, um, thank you, Casey. Uh, if you can send it to info at billwhittle.com as well, uh, I'd love to visit Starbase. That would be beyond my belief. Um, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's about all I need to say about that. Um, the federal government's out of control, and 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 it's going to take. Uh, well, I have some thoughts about that, but I just want to get into that right now. It's a it's a it's a lot of um, that's a lot of. Uh, stuff. Okay, so moving on, Marusha Dark. Uh, topic, Razor Fist Lincoln video. Bill, not sure if you're familiar with who Razor Fist is. He's a MAGA libertarian from Arizona. I've heard of him. who's done great work on topics like Maricopa, voter fraud, pop culture, big tech wokeness, etc. He's even recently on uh, Sep Gorka's show and did an election analysis with uh, Tarl Warnick. This week, Razor Fist did a video takedown of Lincoln as a tyrant, which has already gotten a quarter million views. I know we've sparred over this topic on stream before, and I'm not looking to get into the details of that debate here. Just pointing out that he rebuts some of the arguments I've heard you and others mention, and I myself learned a few things from watching it. was wondering if you had a chance to see it yet. If not, I'd highly recommend it, as it'll either persuade you or you'll be able to rebut it, which would make for entertaining and valuable content. Here's a link if you're interested. Word of warning, he does swear a lot, but that's just part of his theatrics and branding. I'd say otherwise it's well-researched, this particular side issue. I think the two of you would have a lot to talk about, so please consider adding him to the interview list. And there's a link to that. Um, I'm, uh, everybody's saying it's, um, uh, uh, it's a wonderful video, so I'm going to wait until I see it before I comment on it. Strangely enough, um, we did the, uh, the Zoe's um, virtue signal today. It was about um, conservatives uh, using the Confederate flag as a symbol of rebellion and why he was basically saying, why are you taking the Democratic Party flag? The Confederacy was the Democratic Party leaving the Union. That's all the, that's all the Confederacy was. People say it was about states' rights. It was. It was about states' rights to own slaves. Um, so I think I probably should um, uh, see the video before I comment on it. Uh, but I do know uh, a good deal about Lincoln, and I know a good deal about uh, the Civil War. It's the Civil War that got me hooked on it. Um, I will take a look at it. I kind of suspect, based on what I already know about Lincoln, that this might be one of those... Um, Works of Shakespeare were written by the 16th Earl of Oxford. Uh, but I will look at it. Um, I will... Uh, I'll just look at it. And 
And look, I've said this a hundred times. Somebody makes a compelling case, I'll change my mind. Um, but it's going to take a pretty compelling case to change my mind about uh, Abraham Lincoln. And this has an awful lot of the... Um, it's got an awful lot of this, the, the kind of smell you get from the Apollo uh, was a hoax thing and, you know, all of that stuff. And that is that the further away you get from something, the more you believe in little, you know, idea bonbons rather than see the actual history. Um so I'll take a look at it, and then we'll see. Uh, and and uh, maybe I'll do a response to it, and maybe I will um, change my mind. Uh, and I've never had a problem with changing my mind. If he makes a compelling case, then I'll change my mind. Um, Judy Sheiks, hi, Bill. Hopefully I can get my well-thought-out questions in before being aced out by Super Chats. <laughs> Thank you. Bless you. Um, it's my contention that Elon Musk has become the most powerful man in the world for daring to expose the libs via the Twitter files, and he refuses to bend a knee to the mob as well. Your thoughts? And just a small request for us elders, can you please activate closed captioning when you upload the Stratosphere Launch to YouTube? It's a luxury I enjoy, and sometimes amusing to watch the translations YouTube tries to come up with. Thanks. Um, I've been doing a lot of the posting lately, and I did not know um, that that was something I had to activate. I will look into that. I found out earlier today that the SoundCloud, um, uh, we, we post everything that we do except for the member show uh, on SoundCloud so people can download it. And the last six that I did, that I posted, I didn't realize I had to turn the download option on. So thank you very much for that, and I will, um, I will look into that. Um, uh, so uh, to your question. Um, He's the most powerful man in the world for daring to expose libs via the Twitter files, and he refuses to bend a knee on the, to the mob as well. Your thoughts? Um, I just... Um, thank you, guys. I just... Um, uh, I just mentioned the fact that he can go to Davos, uh, rose my uh, confidence in him. Look, there are things... This is what the whole first hour and a half of the show was about. There are things that Elon Musk believes in that I don't believe in. Uh, there are some things that Elon Musk uh, says and believes in that, that I am pretty much diametrically opposed to. But I have said this before. If you really, really, really want to get down to it, if you, when, when it's all said and done, every single one of us is a political party of one. You will not find another human being that agrees with you on 100% of every single thing you uh, you agree with, right? You won't. And and so the question is, at what point does does an action become intolerable? He hasn't said anything um, that uh, that got to that point for me. My uh, disagreements with Elon are, are, you know, disagreements, political opinions and stuff. But 
he's the richest man in the world because in my opinion, and I think there's a strong case to be made for this, he is without a doubt the most valuable human in the world, at least in terms of the values that I have. I grew up uh, as an Apollo kid. I remember things getting faster, higher, further. Uh, that was what progress meant, not, not inventing new pronouns for people. And, and as I mentioned a few minutes ago, he launched two separate missions from two separate space centers on the same night, recovered all of the hardware, including the fairings. This is revolutionary. And, and the, the, the guy, you know, my friend Bert is essentially the father of space planes, right? I mean, he's, he's an aerodynamicist. He's an airplane designer. I had always liked the idea of, of flying something up high and then launching it from there. That's what Stratolaunch does. Bert said that a lot of times just getting the rocket to turn the corner, I'm talking about Stratolaunch now, once it drops, getting the rocket to turn the corner, that's I think called the Alpha, uh, is um, takes about as much energy as launching it from the ground. Okay, my point is this. When Bert says that this is a game changer, then you're then you know you're talking about uh, uh, somebody who, who knows what they're talking about. So hang on a second here. Uh, Cody Fett says, please study the counters to the Lincoln as a tyrant issue before commenting on it too. You never shied away from history studies, so please don't stop now. I want to see Lincoln defended, but in a well-cited manner. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll take a look at, at that, and I will I'll source that. And then um, G.K. Masterson says, refresh, because I updated my question. Uh, I don't know how to do that. Um, oh. On the website here. Okay, hang on. Anyway, um, when you um, when you uh, look at, at at the guy on balance, it's it's to me it's just a just a not even close. It's just guy is an incredible asset for humanity. SpaceX is SpaceX because of Elon Musk. And the reason Boeing isn't Boeing anymore and Northrop isn't Northrop anymore and McDonald isn't McDonald anymore is because it's no longer run by people of vision. Hughes Aircraft had at the head of it a man of vision. Now, he may have been nuts. And a lot of the nuts was he got in a lot of plane crashes and banged his head up pretty well. But the only way you build the Hercules, and I refuse to... Um, uh, give it the slanderous name that other people have given it to disparage that gigantic wooden wonder. That aircraft could never be built unless Howard Hughes owned the company and basically said, I'm going to bet my own money on this. Now, as it turns out, the Hercules didn't work. But it might. when I say it might have, the idea might have, he, um, he, uh, did a lot of things. And all of these guys, like Northrop, were affected because they gave them the head. They, they, they let these guys go. Now, Lockheed, uh, uh, Kelly Johnson didn't um, own Lockheed, but Lockheed knew what they had in Kelly Johnson. He's one of the two greatest airplane designers of all time. 
And when the CIA came to Kelly Johnson and said, we need an aircraft that can fly at 90,000 feet, 80,000 feet, Lockheed said, well, we want the contract. And then the money went to, Kelly Johnson set up his own shop called Skunk Works because Lockheed was smart enough at the time to realize that that the only way that Kelly Johnson will get anything done is if you leave Kelly Johnson alone with his hand-picked engineers and just give him the budget and let him let him do it. It turns out that the um, the first check for a million, two million dollars, I forget the exact number, when the CIA needed the U-2, they went to Lockheed, they gave it to Kelly Johnson, and before the, all these contracts and all this other legal stuff could be put in place, they mailed Kelly Johnson a check for a million, two million dollars, which in 1960, whatever, is a ton of money. Well, not 1960, 1950 something, is a ton of money. They mailed it directly to his mailbox at home. They, they sent Kelly Johnson a check for a million plus dollars addressed to his mailbox. Kelly Johnson opened his mailbox, took this check out from the Department of Defense, deposited it, started building the U-2. Um, and uh, so Elon Musk is the same way. The thing about Elon Musk um, uh, that I think is the most telling is that he not only put his own money into uh, SpaceX, and he put other people's money into it too, but that's because he's, he's, that's how it happens, right? You don't have SpaceX without, without investment. But he was down to his last rocket, and... And I have such enormous respect for, for, for that. When I say he was down to his last rocket, that final Falcon 9 flight, if it had failed, that would have been the end of SpaceX. It wouldn't have been the end of Elon Musk. He wouldn't be like out on the street with a cup full of pencils, but it would have been the end of SpaceX. He put everything he had into that, and he didn't give up. And it got down to one roll of the dice, and, and that launch succeeded. And now we have a guy who's a year and a half ago was ready to launch the most powerful rocket ever made, and launch them every frickin' hour because he believes in it. And when he bought Twitter, there's no way that, that he thought he was going to make money at that. I, I mean, I don't, think, I don't think there's ever a, a plan to make money off of Twitter. Twitter was dying, you know? I think Elon Musk, Elon Musk said, look, we won't have, he's talking about America, he's talking about the future of humanity. He says, we will not have a future unless we can openly, openly discuss things free of censorship. If we don't have the means to express our opinions, then we will simply go the way of the Soviet Union. We'll just become completely fossilized, and that's it. So you could say that he made that investment in Twitter as an investment in the future of humanity, an investment in the future of the engineers he's going to need and SpaceX is going to need long after Elon Musk is gone. But he, he did it. Um, uh, it. Because he believed in it. And, uh, and this is a really important point too, aka Woody Fool in our Twitch stream says that also, this is, you want to talk about blasphemy. It's not just that he revealed that Twitter was corrupt. He released documents that are actionable legal documents. This is evidence that he released. And on a personal level, Elon Musk is talking about the population collapse, not the population boom, the population collapse. 
he is not talking about, you know, cutting back on people. Uh, he's talking about we need more people. That's a pro-life argument. And I don't mean just in the abortion sense. I mean just in the human sense. He doesn't hate people. He doesn't hate humanity, right? He doesn't hate humanity. doesn't hate himself. And, and if he just did SpaceX, he'd be miraculous. If he just did any one of his multiple companies, he'd be miraculous. But he does them all. And, and the, 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 the most telling thing I've ever seen about Elon Musk, small thing, um, was he was talking with a guy, wasn't a famous guy, wasn't a big interview. He's outside, in, in, um, outside at a spaceport in, in Texas. And he's looking at his, he's, he's looking up at his, at, I, I think he was looking up at the, um, at the starship. And somebody said to him, well, why, you know, you're using this method to pressurize the fuel tanks on the lower stage. Why don't you do that on the upper stage? And Elon, in real time, he's saying, now you can't do that on the upper stage because you, that's a really good idea. And he just went and did it, right? He just did it. Um, that's the sign of, of a confident guy. That's a, that's a genius. He's obviously a genius. There are other geniuses who are not, not quite like that, but he's a genius. And he's a genius because he has the confidence in himself to admit, oh, that was a good idea. It wasn't my good idea. It was somebody else's good idea. I'm going to use it. Um, real quick here for a super chat we have here from uh, Levi Lance. My brother's an active uh, 25N in the Army, a nodal systems operator. He says that the military version of Starlink is so robust that it has become an indispensable tool in the Army's STRATCOM toolbox. Okay. Bless you for that. Thank you very much for that. And thanks for the super chat. Think about that, right? Starlink Starlink is, is freedom. I didn't realize, because I'm not Elon Musk, that if you had a viable launch system, if you had a, a cost-effective launch system, then you could essentially put up a satellite system that would mean that you could very likely own virtually all of the world's money that goes to internet service providers, right? I mean, it's the whole issue was latency, was, you know, you can, you can send signals to geostationary satellites, but you know, it takes a, well, I don't know, maybe half a second, three, quarter of a second to get up to those satellites another half second back that's that if you're playing a, a you know video game that kind of ping is not going to not going to do it so you realize that the thing you needed to do is get these satellites close because the speed of light is fast but it's not fast enough so we're going to cut the distance that means our latency is going to go down and now i think it's 80 percent of the globe if you have an electrical, honestly to God, if you have a if you have a stationary bike and you can pedal a generator, you can get the internet out in the middle of nowhere. That's a that's a powerful force for freedom. We we take censorship here and we think about censorship on YouTube and all the rest of it, but nations like China they they just simply control what you see and what you don't see. You get a you get a Starlink set, you're you're in business. But it never occurred to me that if you if you had a viable launch program first, then you could make so much money by essentially charging everybody on the planet 
they're $9.95 a month or $20 or $30 or whatever for internet access. I thought, oh, well, that occurred to me well after the fact. That's because Elon's Elon. I've said it before on this last thing I'll say because it's about him. Um, you can tell that Elon Musk is not like them. He's different than them. And when I say them, I mean pretty much every other billionaire that I can think of. Um, I've known a number of millionaires in my life, and they've been marvelous people who worked very hard and got to be millionaires. I've met and talked to two billionaires, and they're not like us. In order to be a billionaire, you have to be wired completely differently. And Elon is wired differently than the average bear, too. But, um, but Elon uh, has humanity about him. Because, and the reason I can tell that is because he has a sense of humor about himself. You'll never hear Bill Gates making a joke about his bad haircut. Never. He's not capable of it. Uh, Elon Musk putting a don't panic sign on the on the sp sports car that he launched. <laughs> he didn't just launch it into Earth orbit. He launched it into solar orbit. It's out there orbiting the sun right now. You, that's, just, that's just guy. He's having fun, right? That's it. When you, when you call your landing pad, you know, um, of course I still love you. Uh, or the other one's called uh, read the instructions or read the manual, whatever. That's just guy having fun. And, and if you're not having fun, then you're not, you don't have enough mental lubrication. You're, then, you're, then you're Boeing, right? You're doing everything by the rules of the book and the expectations of the you know, shareholders and all the rest of it. He can, afford to, he can afford to have fun. And if he wasn't having fun, he wouldn't be doing all the things he's doing. I think he's a wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, Eric Blake says, uh, Elon is a great man and he's a good man. He's living proof that it's possible to be both. By the way, Eric, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but we did do, um, we did do the virtue signal based on your recommendation for, um, talking about the, uh, divining gratitude. So I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's been up for a couple days. <coughs> so I'm a, I'm a big fan and, and, uh, and this, uh, refusal to go to the World Economic Forum and the fact that he said it gave him the willies uh, reinforces uh, that for me. All right. I think I'm going to do one more after this. Uh, so uh, here's one. Uh, G.K. Masterson wants to know, mayo or mustard on cheeseburgers? Well, mustard, obviously. Trick question, I think, of some kind. Um, yeah, and, and P7 2017 says, how not to land a booster. Look for it on YouTube. It is a collection cut together, tightly cut together, of every explosion of failure that SpaceX has ever had. That's what winners do. That's what winners do. Losers try to cover this up or minimize it. Winners celebrate in it. They, they bask in it. They glow in it because winners understand you win from, you, you learn things from your failures. The thing I've gotten the most about, um, about yes, it was Elon who said that. The thing I like most about, um, learned most about in terms of the space program and stuff is when you are doing something that's never been done before, and this is true for commercial aviation as well, there are unknown unknowns. We've all been through this before, but there are known knowns. I know what the aerodynamic forces on this airplane are. There are known unknowns. I don't know what those aerodynamic forces will do if you go supersonic. 
And then there are unknown unknowns, which is, I don't know if there's a demon going to swat this airplane out of the sky when you go past uh, Mach 1, but you can, you can engineer against the known unknowns, and you won't be perfect in that, and that's going to make mistakes. That's usually going to mean something's going to crash or blow up. But there are also unknown unknowns, and you will, um, you will now, uh, <laughs> Sergio Stevens says, mustard, really? Now, my God, now I'm questioning your judgment on everything. I'm dead to all of you, um, uh, Manny's people. Um, the point is, Elon's not afraid to fail. He knows that there are things that we don't know, and we won't know them until we do them. The, uh, the fatal failure on uh, Starship, uh, God, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago now, was a deviation from the instructions they were given when they were given the blueprints, blueprints for, the, for the vehicle. They deviated from the procedures that were written for the for the progenitor vehicle for Spaceship One, deviated from those, and somebody got killed because they made a mistake. That's human nature. That's what exploration's all about. That's what the that's what the pushing the envelope is. That's what that's what the cutting edge is, is making mistakes. So the reason that Elon can put that thing together is because now, look, you can make all the mistakes that you have to make. The key is don't make the same mistake twice right? That's all there is to it. You make as many mistakes as you need to make, but don't make the same mistake twice. And don't make mistakes that you know are going to catch up with you. And I'm speaking to you, NASA, with the Challenger and the Columbia. Both of those missions had known, had known failures that were mission critical that would result in the loss of the vehicle and the crew, and they flew them anyway. Uh, and that, don't do that. Um, and the footage, by the way, I, I mean, I, I have not seen the footage of the the last weekend's uh, Falcon Heavy launch, but um, I think the one before that, which was just a couple of weeks earlier, there's footage of these of these boosters coming through the clouds. And it's just unbelievable. By the way, I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's worth a look. There is some footage, um, Eric Blake says, Apollo 1 should have been a lesson to NASA. It was a lesson to NASA. It was a lesson that lasted for, what was it, 20 years. And then they forgot. That's how people work. Um, but there's a, there is footage from a mission. Now, to understand this, you have to understand that in order to see what I'm about to talk about, the lighting conditions have to be perfect. There's a mission, Falcon 9 mission, where it goes up and it's on its way back down and it's shooting the, the correction jets. You know, it's doing, it's, it's doing the things it needs to do to keep the orientation right. And when it fires a burst of that jet, it doesn't just go that far. It expands out into this bubble that just goes like five or six times the length of the booster. If you haven't seen it, you have to find it. And maybe I'll grab it and run it next time. When you see what happens to just simple reaction control thrusters in a vacuum, because you've got a really good camera on it. It's mind-boggling. It's, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It's like, these, it's like these jellyfish are emerging from this thing. It's unbelievable. Many of you have seen the launch things where you, you get the contrail and stuff. The lighting has to be right for that. 
If it's dark, you won't see it because it's dark. It's not glowing gas. It's, it's cold gas, essentially, and, and so you have to have light on it. But if you do it in broad daylight, then the sky gets so bright that you can't see it. The only time you can see it is when it's dark down here, but still light up there. And that was a work of art. That was just art. Fantastic. Amazing. Um, and I got a bunch of questions on Daily Wire here, so I think uh, I'm going to probably wrap it up because I believe I've covered that subject. Um, and I can feel my voice starting to go a little bit. So I've got some... Um, We've got some videos to post, and I also have very, uh, I have to uh, get some more of the scripts done. I will say this, I've, I've almost said it before, but um, but I, I lost track. Uh, because of this burden, and because of the magnitude of the writing, it has forced me to do something that I don't like doing, which is to sit down and write for hours and hours and hours a day. Always been afraid of that. Always been writer's block. Always been that kind of, oh, I don't want to face it. And that's why firewalls didn't get written, all the rest of it. But now I sit down and write three, four, five hours a day because I have to. <coughs> and for the first time ever, this time, I sent signals back. You ever heard this? Uh, some guy made a joke, comedian once was saying, you know, um, he said, I'm a, you know, I've got to work tomorrow. It's two o'clock in the morning. I'm going out with my friends. I'm going to have another round of drinks. Probably won't get home till four. But that's not my problem. It's, even though it's a work day, it's not my problem. That's morning guy's problem. Uh, and, and so, um, I, uh, I sent a message from writing guy to, you know, non-writing guy saying, reprogram yourself. This is not an unpleasant experience. You're having fun doing this, man. You're having fun doing it. So, um, it seems to be catching. So that's good news. Um, Anyway, uh, that's going to do it. And Astrochronic, I have to tell you again, uh, you have no idea how much that meant to me, really. Really, really, really. Not just, not just for making me feel better, but just for the, for the realization that, you know, it's not, it's not something that can't be untangled. I'm not talking about the Crowder Daily Wire thing. I'm talking about this, you know, you know you're, you're dead to me kind of thing. It meant an awful lot to me. Very grateful for that. Thank you very much. All right. Um, yeah, I think that'll do it. Uh, this show is made possible uh, by the members of BillWhittle.com who uh, continue to um, stick with us through thick and thin and to whom I am uh, very grateful, as always, as are the rest of us here. Uh, and uh, I think that'll do it. So um, we will see you next time. And for those of you who you know keep looking for these firewalls and stuff that haven't appeared yet, I'm going to try and sneak one in, and uh, all I can say is I, I believe that if you can stick with us when, when, when you see it, it's going to be worth it. I bounced off it twice earlier, but Daily Wire is putting into this production the kind of sets that I don't think we've ever seen before, and, and they're really going to spend some money on getting this thing right, so I'm grateful for that. Okay, uh, that'll do it. Thanks again for uh, joining us, everybody. And um, and I will see you next... I will not be here next Monday. I am, I'm going to be in um, at an event, private event, in uh, in Savannah on Monday nights. So I'm afraid I won't be um, 
won't be able to do stretch for studio again. I'll put up a message for that, but um, but I will be here for stretch for lunch on Thursday. And thank you for that as well. Like is the waves. Everybody's been so kind tonight. I really appreciate it. And um, as always, uh, thanks uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for your support. And um, and we will see you uh, next time right here on the Stress for Lunch.